Hello, and welcome to Decarbonize, the clean energy podcast from Fresh Energy. Fresh Energy is a Minnesota nonprofit working to speed our state's transition to a clean energy economy. My name is Joe Olson. I do communications here at Fresh Energy, and I'm here today to share with you a recording of the third webinar in our truly affordable four-part series. In this discussion, Fresh Energy's Ben Passer and Gina Saganik of the Healthy Building Network discuss why healthy, affordable housing is so hard. And with that, I will begin the recording. Thank you for tuning in. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Uh, thank you again for attending today's part three of Truly Affordable. It's Fresh Energy's webinar series focusing on why healthy, affordable housing is a key part of building back better and why healthy, affordable housing should be carbon free and all electric to truly be healthy and truly be affordable. I'm Michael Noble. I'm the executive director at Fresh Energy. We're based in Minnesota. We're a nonprofit organization working to speed the transition to an equitable carbon neutral economy in our state and beyond. And last week we had an amazing speaker on Thursday, uh, council member Mitra Jalali talked about how deeply intertwined energy and housing stability are, uh, particularly at this time of serious, severe economic hardship. And she brought to us her experience as a policymaker, as a city leader, and as a renter who uh, has rented all her life and understands the challenging, challenges of uh, living in rental housing in St. Paul. And really deepened the conversation um, along with our own Janice Watts. So you can see a link to that recording uh, that was included in the email that we sent out uh, reminding you about today's event. And you could also find the link to last week's conversation on our website. So um, before uh, turning over the microphone to Ben Passer, who will introduce our guest, uh, I want to um, acknowledge that this whole subject of truly affordable, all-electric, carbon-free housing is moving very, very quickly now. When someone running for the President of the United States says that all commercial buildings should be carbon-free, by 2030, you know that carbon-free all-electric housing is rising up in the public conversation. And we're now at a position where only the very, very, very best buildings are being built carbon-free and all-electric. And we're trying to make it the standard and the norm in affordable housing construction here in Minnesota. So the guest speaker we have today is going to shed some light on aspects of truly affordable housing that she understands very, very well. Uh, she's been a nonprofit uh, housing developer and knows building materials, and I'm not going to spoil the surprise. I'm going to let uh, Ben do the introduction. But before I turn over to Ben, I want to uh, thank our sponsor for this event. It's the Stoll Reeves Law Firm, a national law firm with offices in downtown Minneapolis. Uh, they specialize in energy law and especially renewable energy law. So if you need an attorney and you're in the energy business, uh, think of Stoll Reeves. I'd like to also acknowledge all of these uh, promotional partners uh, who are on the screen here. These are organizations who help us fill the room, uh, get the word out about the series, uh, spread the news, and they're all uh, important fresh energy friends, allies, and colleague organizations. So with that, I'm um, 
relinquishing my role here. And uh, from now on, uh, the flow of the event belongs to Ben Passer, who is um, my colleague uh, and a friend of mine. And he's also the director of Fresh Energy's Energy Access and Equity Program. So Ben Passer, please um, take it away. Thank you, Michael. Uh, my name is Ben Passer, and I'm the director of Fresh Energy's Energy Access and Equity Program. Um, I'm very excited to be joined today by Gina Saganik, uh, Chief Executive Officer of the Healthy Building Network. Um, in Gina's previous role at Healthy Building Network, uh, she led an expansion of the organization's healthy materials work into the affordable housing sector. And before joining HBN, Gina was the Vice President of Housing Development at a Minneapolis-St. Paul area affordable housing development organization, where she spent two decades creating healthy, affordable homes, including the Rose, a 90-unit apartment building that set a new national standard for healthy materials. I'm especially, especially excited that Gina is here today because she will be bringing so much to our discussion as a thought leader and someone who has pioneered so much work around healthy building materials. She's going to bring her real-life experience to the conversation, and dig into how we can tackle some of the challenges presented by creating affordable housing that's also healthy. Uh, Gina will present for about 10 minutes, and then the final 15 minutes will answer your questions. Um, so please use Zoom's Q&A feature to submit your questions. Um, please do not use the chat for your questions, um, only use the Q&A. And with that, I'm going to turn the mic over to Gina. Uh, Gina, take it away. Thanks, Ben, and thanks, Michael, and the Fresh Energy team. I'm really thrilled to be a part of this conversation today. So as Ben mentioned, I am the CEO of, of uh, the Healthy Building Network. We're a national nonprofit that began in 2000. We do research and education about the environmental and human health impacts of the uh, chemical, toxic chemicals that we are exposed to every day because of all the different products we're using. Um, we have five staff in Minnesota, and we're, the rest of us are scattered across the country. Um, ben, you can move to the next slide. We have a mission that all people in the planet thrive when the environment is free of toxic chemicals, and our mission is to advance human and environmental health by improving hazardous chemical transparency and um, inspiring product innovation. We actually support multi-sectors. Our uh, partners include a vast array of folks from Google to Harvard to Perkins & Will, who is a global architectural firm, to NRDC and the Energy Efficiency for All uh, campaigns. We work with affordable housing manufacturers and retailers like Home Depot. Um, me, I've been doing real estate for 20 years. So how did I get to this space where I'm hanging out with chemists and uh, software engineers and toxicologists. Well, um, there was a lot I realized that I didn't know about healthy materials. And I thought it was a very important thing um, for me to figure out and to hopefully share some ideas with you all. So Ben, you wanna go to the next slide? So after doing about like two decades of affordable housing, uh, all of these blue areas we all are tackling and I think in a pretty good way. There's amazing work happening in energy efficiency. We're doing some renewables and clean energy. We're paying attention to our design, how the building physically promotes good health and socially promotes good health. We pay attention to the location of the building. 
um, access uh, to transit, access to food, access to parks. We are paying attention to how we're using water and how we can be um, very disciplined about um, the water usage we have every day. What I realized is there's a big element that miss, that's missing that undermines the rest of the good work we're doing. It's around the products we use, both in terms of the toxic chemicals and the life cycles. I mean, think about it for just a second. Look around you, look at everything. You can touch, you can see between the building, your consumer products when you woke up this morning and all those things we put on ourselves to make us smell better. Products are a huge, part of our work. Then you can flip that. So why? There's four main reasons. You can get to the next one. So if you are a warrior for climate, energy, and carbon emissions, you want to think about the product cycle because we, we this is from the uh, Ellen MacArthur um, completing the picture report. Uh, report. So on the left side of the page, you will see about 55% of the energy and the emissions we're paying attention to come from building operations and from transit. We're trying to get to the electric vehicles. We're doing a really good job. It's a really hard area to tackle. We're doing pretty well there. If you look on the right side, which is about 45% of total emissions, it's the products that we are using, building products, personal care products, electronics, uh, apparel, food, you name it, the, the energy and the work and the chemicals used to create these products are a huge part of emissions. So if we're not integrating that into our strategy, um, we're going to undermine our, our goals around climate. You can flip, Ben. The next part is if you care about waste, you want to pay attention to um, to products. On the left side of the screen, this is our current process that we use to, to get our programs, Ellen Mac our, our project products. Ellen MacArthur talks about it as a take, make, waste um, cycle that we take things, we make them, we use them, we pitch them. I am old enough, or maybe I'm young enough, to remember when I was a kid, we actually would get milk in glass containers that we'd put on the stoop and the new milk would come and the, um, the bottles would go back to get refilled. In the last you know, 50 or so years, we have shifted. We didn't think in the past about throwing everything away like we do now. So if you care about recycling, we have to shift over to the circular economy and we really need to pay attention to the designing out waste and making um, products healthier and designing out waste requires healthier, greener chemistries so that you can actually recycle. And we all know that recycling is a very, very pathetic amount of all the waste we generate. If you want to flip there. Third, if you're a property manager um, and, or, or manage real estate, you have, I am sure, encountered lead and asbestos abatement. The challenge is lead and asbestos aren't the only problem chemicals out there. And as we move forward, more and more chemicals are going to be flagged as problematic. So you will be doing more abatement and, and remediation. So if you don't know 
what some of the chemicals are right now that are being flagged as problematic and you're using them, you're setting yourself up to um, have some real expenses into the future. Um, I always thought the government was regulating things, that they wouldn't allow us to buy products that had really nasty stuff in them that were problematic to people. The reality is, is that of the 85,000 some chemicals on the market, um, less than 200 have been tested for their impacts on human health, and only nine have some sort of regulation. Europe is way ahead of us. They say chemicals are guilty until proven in innocent by in industry. We do the opposite here in the US. We say, well, until you can really prove that it's a problem, go for it. You can flip to the next one. So to me, this is the big one, um, health that it affects, toxic chemicals affect your health in, in so many different ways. Um, we all believe, I think we all believe the idea that you are what you eat. I've now expanded my thinking to you are what surrounds you. All the things you're touching, all the things you're smelling, all the things you're breathing, the dust that's on your hand, the, the things that are absorbing into your body um, stay with you and they affect you. How many times have any of you walked into a new construction or had your new car or walked by a factory on the street and said, what's that smell? Did you then think, what is that smell and should I be breathing that and what's happening to it once it gets in my body? Not many people do. So the World Health Organization has seen that chronic diseases um, are generated um, by a, at least a third, the, the source is toxic chemicals and pollutions that are in our environment. So in order to decrease our health um, issues, we do have to pay attention to what we're being exposed to. As we're seeing very clearly in COVID, and I'm sure you've all um, read that the people who are being um, who are getting the virus and sadly passing away have underlying conditions. Sadly, the people who are, have these underlying conditions have a disproportionate exposure to toxic chemicals and they're the lowest income populations, people of color, workers in certain jobs that are more exposed, whether you're contractors or you're cleaning, you're um, doing all kinds of things. So in order to create a more resilient population in the future who can resist disease, have a good quality of life in the meantime, resist issues around climate change, we have to get to a healthier population and it starts with um, decreasing our exposures. I didn't know that babies today are born with already 200 chemicals they're exposed through their mother and that's how it travels through your body. The number of diseases that are ramping up from you know, developmental, autoimmune, all kinds of reproductive cancers are on the rise. And we think it's just kind of a bum luck when we get it. And it's really not. When you see the scientific information of the links, it's problematic. As energy professionals, we all know that indoor air is a problem, indoor air quality. And as we get tighter and tighter buildings, it really matters what kind of products you're using in there. You're saying even now indoor air quality is worse than outdoor. What I've learned that this is a silent public health crisis that we all can do things about if we um, learn a little bit more and we make better decisions. So how do we do that? Ben, you want to flip? So 
when I came to Healthy Building Network, I created a national program called Home Free that was really meant for non-chemists like me who don't speak chemistry language to translate the complexity into simple, actionable steps. I'm always dedicated to communities of practice, so the people who are um, facing these decisions and have to do this work every day are engaged in shaping the conversation. We support demonstration projects. We've had some great projects here in Minnesota and all over the country, Common Bond. We've worked with MSR uh, Design. We've worked with some great folks. We work with Ben and his IFA Mama Hen group. Um, so demonstration's important and we create really simple to use resources. You can flip to the next one. If you go on our Homes Free site, we have nine product categories that we boiled down. You can look at countertops and see a really simple, what are the worst products in red to yellow to, and then the best in the green. If you notice on the bottom, you'll see insulation and sealants. You can go and see all kinds of great information around what are the better insulations, um, how do they perform, and what are the better sealants where you're not gonna expose folks to. Does it matter? Sure. I just want to wind up with a slide that shows why it matters and I didn't understand this myself, but when I was working on the rows, I was selecting all kinds of products I didn't know much about, but I was starting to learn during that process and we would have selected our typical luxury vinyl tile that was full of God knows what in the recycled content. So we looked at a couple of um, other alternatives to luxury vinyl, vinyl tile. So these numbers are based on about a thousand square foot two-bedroom average. We went with a bio-based sheet good. Um, we looked at linoleum and rubber sheet, but in, in that unit by selecting an alternate healthier floor, you can lose, you can get rid of, avoid pounds of toxic chemicals and that's in one unit. So if you do the math on the bottom and if you have a 50 unit project, you're talking tons of toxic chemicals in one product, one building. And my scientists that I work with like to say, Gina, you always like to talk about the tons, but oftentimes it's the parts per million and the parts per billion exposure that, that affect our bodies. So we do have to get uh, smarter about this. We can't be freaked out about it, but we do have resources now where without cost, without performance, I'm a true developer at heart. We know we can't quite afford some of the cost premiums on things. We've really designed this so you can take steps up and make big difference. The bio-based sheet good was about a dollar more a square foot, but if we use our collective voices and our collective buying power, we can make that change. We can shape this. The train has left the station on this, so if you're not working in the realm of products, in your energy work, in your healthy building work, in your healthy people work, um, you're falling behind. So I'm happy to be a resource for anyone. I'm really happy to be here today to talk about this, this, new, um, this new element to the work and our goal is to make it easy. That's all I had to say, Ben. Thank you, Gina. Um, so before we start the Q&A, um, I just wanna remind everyone that Truly Affordable will return uh, next week um, with a conversation between my colleague, Justin Fay. Uh, Director of Government Affairs at Fresh Energy, and Mayor Kim Norton of Rochester, Minnesota. Um, they'll be discussing how cities can take the lead when it comes to truly affordable housing. 
Um, a recording of this webinar will be posted at fresh-energy.org slash publications and on our podcast, Decarbonize the Clean Energy Podcast. You can learn more about Fresh Energy's work at www.fresh-energy.org. Um, and on our website, you can subscribe to our newsletter, check out the latest on our blog, and make a donation today. Um, on behalf of everyone here at Fresh Energy, um, thank you for attending uh, today, part three of our truly affordable webinar series, and we hope to see you again next Thursday. And with that, um, we will shift gears to Q&A, so please feel free to start uh, dropping your questions into the Q&A function um, on Zoom. And um, I'm just going to go ahead and um, jump in with kind of an overarching question, Gina. Um, you know, you, you talked about your experience um, with the affordable housing sector, um, really from a number of angles. And um, I think just to, to get us started, from your perspective, why is it so hard to institutionalize this? Um, certainly, there's a number of model projects and leading organizations um, striving to build better. Um, but why isn't this just the norm? It's a couple of things. One is trust. We assume that if you're going to go buy something off the shelf, somebody paid attention to it. I often say when I get in an airplane, no one expects me to go in the cockpit and look to see if all the dials are looking right, ready to go. I, I think somebody's done that. So short of a wing falling off or smoke billowing out, that's not my responsibility. So we think I think part of it is trust that we think it's being regulated and it's not really. So we need to step in and demand to know there's not food labels, like on building products. Secondly, it's complex. It's chemistry. So if you do find out, you know, what a phthalate is, I don't know. What does that even mean? I couldn't even pronounce that before, um, before I started. So some of it is just complex. And I remember giving stuff to my architects. Third, it's disclosure. It's transparency. HBN has worked very, very hard in a lots of different ways, and that's a different uh, presentation, but to get manufacturers to disclose. And we could tell you all day long whether a product has problems or not, but disclosure is a huge part of it, that sometimes it's trade secrets, sometimes manufacturers have no idea because their supply chains are so long, they just get this part and they screw it in, I don't know, they think they somebody else checked it. So it's it's a lot of different reasons. It's complexity, it's trust, it's unknowns, um, more, more information is coming out so we can tell you um, more about that. And sometimes it is cost and performance because with new materials you wanna, you know, sometimes they charge more and they don't perform as well. So there's all those kinds of things we need to tackle. And we've come a long way since I was working on the rows. It's, it's pretty incredible. If I had the resources now or then what I have now, would have been a heck of a lot easier. That's great. And just as a follow-up to that, Gina, um, you talked about your work on the rows and um, previously, you know, during your presentation, um, you talked about the, the flooring swap um, that you're now advocating for at HPN, which maybe wasn't, you know, a, a primary consideration um, in, in thinking about the rows or similar projects. And um, so to your point on, you know, kind of um, transparency and disclosure, um, what are some ways that we can, you know, really start to educate, um, you know, developers and, and other decision makers in making these decisions to really kind of help um, facilitate that process? Yeah, good question. Um, when we were doing the rows, it, it, there, it was really hard to get any of that information. And that's one of the reasons why I, I moved from Aon to um, 
to where I'm at now is it didn't exist. I wanted it to exist because I started to realize why don't we know this? Why can't we share this information? Why can't we get some scientists to just tell us what to pick and what to avoid? So in order to um, move forward in this and engage people, it has to be easy. And right now what we've done with Home Free, there's really great resources that that's a, I tell people start there, pick one product. You don't have to pick all nine you know, you pick one thing and it gets easier. So that's what we've found. We found that when people know better, they've, they've done better. We have a lot of affordable housers and architects and folks who have made those changes and they'll tell you they've been able to do it without cost and performance issues. And just as a follow-up on, on that, um, the question in the Q&A from Becca, um, who said, we toured the Rose Building when it opened, uh, many innovative features, um, but I've heard that it's unlikely to be duplicated due to complications, uh, cost, and resi resident usage issues. Um, so what lessons have been learned from that? Are there um, opportunities to um, perhaps learn um, and, and you know replicate best practices, but also build on them? Yeah, absolutely. Everything is a journey. I remember when we started out when LEED came out and everyone said it was so expensive and you can see the data from the Minnesota Housing Finance Agency that there was a blip, there was cost issues, there was performance issues. And like anything, the Rose was one of the first, was the first living building challenge uh, project signed up. So products at that time were challenging. They were unknown. You know, we're five years out, six years out from, from that now. And so there are definitely better products. Um, when, when I look at my 20 year history of development, I can always say things I had done three years before that I wouldn't do now. So I would say that's not unlike about anything that we do. And year by year, um, we're doing better and um, testing some of the products. Resident uses is always a big thing. If you put a healthy building together and people are bringing dry cleaning in and scented candles and, you know, shower curtains full of, you know, PVC shower curtains, it's problematic. It's going to take education. It's going to take engagement and it's going to take all of us. That's helpful. Thank you, Gina. Um, so we've talked about, um, you know, developer uh, decision-making and individual choice. Um, a question um, that's at the top of our Q&A is, um, are there policy solutions that could be used um, to improve indoor air quality and affordable housing? Yes, um, we've worked very closely with Enterprise Green Communities in one spot, in, in one place to um, update their new 2020 guidelines. And so the the suggestions in the materials section there will get you healthier indoor air quality. We're working with NRDC and Energy Efficiency for All right now. We're under contract to look at what are the baseline materials being used in weatherization um, and how do we move to still performing, um, but also um, healthier products that are both healthier for the people using them and for the environment that gets, you know, the release from them. So there are definitely policy avenues. We tend to work with the market because market, you know, from whether we work with Google and Google can tell their supply chain, we don't want any more fly ash in our carpet. We don't want any more phthalates in this. So using the power of influence, we have found changes the market a lot faster than, than regulation. Our goal is to organize the affordable housing and the energy around the affordable housing, those groups, to start 
creating a demand around this. And we can, we have seen us shape how the manufacturers and retailers respond when we can organize ourselves. That's great. And I, I think um, that sort of market demand, that sort of just kind of um, energy within the market is really powerful. Um, one thing uh, I think that has, you know, we've seen has really gained a lot of traction is something like lead certification. Um, and a question in the Q&A is, um, is there a similar certification like LEED um, for um, uh, using healthier materials, um, similar to how LEED you know, really incentivizes building efficiency and um, smarter energy use? There is a, most of the different standards, and there's a zillion of them out there, have a material section right now. Living Building Challenge was really out in front from the International Living Future Institute. Um, they were really out in front, but the well building standard and um, fit well and you know, green communities and of course lead, everyone's starting to integrate this now. It's a much more publicly accepted uh, idea to figure out what you're using. Even retailers, you know, before 2018, you didn't see many people talking about it. But if you look at Target, they have a public chemicals management strategy. If you look at Nike, they have their chemicals management playbook. You're behind the times if you're not working um, towards uh, to healthier materials now. But to, to your point, yes, there's a lot of different ways. It's still, we're in the hard space. This isn't because of disclosure and you're not gonna get a perfectly healthy building. I learned that when I was doing the rows that mostly, most of the time manufacturers don't tell you what's in your project, in, your, in their products. So then you have to get a waiver and an exception. Um, but we've gone farther and farther and there's new repositories like the Health Product Declaration Collaborative has the, an HPD repository and it is where the leading manufacturers are disclosing in a, in a format that's simple, um, at least for manufacturers to use and it's a more of an apples to apples. It, the, it's, it's, it's moving and it's because we're all engaging. That's that's really exciting, and seems like um, a lot of good good options that hopefully will um, take root. Um, so we are at twelve thirty, um, which is the end of our scheduled time. So um, at this time, um, we'll just go ahead and um, you know, if folks do need to jump off the line, um, please feel free. Um, and thank you for joining us today. Um, but there are still a number of great questions in the Q and A, um, and uh, feel free to to keep them coming. Um, and I think we'll stay on the line for another um, ten or fifteen minutes and um, continue the conversation. But um, if uh, folks do want to uh, hop off, um, thank you for joining us, um, and we really appreciate you um, joining Fresh Energy's truly affordable webinar series. Um, so the next question um, that I'll ask you, Gina, um, there's a question from Margaret in the Q and A. Um, we've talked about a number of different um, products and materials. Um, but this question is around appliances. Um, so how are you thinking about appliances and indoor air quality? Um, for example, uh, do you track the combustion emissions from natural gas furnaces, uh, water heaters, and or stoves in units? Those are all important things to track. We don't do that ourselves just because we are focused really on the chemistry of what the products are made out of. So anytime there's life cycle or carbon or other kinds of things, we rely on other partners who are out there who are tracking that. We are sort of this very narrow niche of the actual chemistry that is used and, and whether it's a carcinogen or mutagen or you know, an endocrine interrupter. So we have a very narrow niche. So no, we don't particularly do that, but should be 
calculated in that for sure. Great. Um, and I think you talked about uh, enterprise green communities uh, a little bit earlier, um, but there's a, a question from uh, Kim uh, around the current enterprise green communities requirements um, and really just asking to what extent do those incorporate um, recommendations that you all are making at HBN? To a very degree, great degree. They had us in, our senior researcher, Rebecca Stam, was um, very closely working with Krista Eggers and her team. And so a lot of the home free recommendations from our home free initiative were um, up, used to, as updates to the 2020. Um, we're working with Enterprise very closely to get a really robust set of resources. So as you're going through those very specific recommendations, um, either required or optional in their materials section, that there'll be resources for you to have handy so that you can um, advance that work better. Great. Um now, shifting back to um, developers and um, kind of developer choice, um, are there developers that you see as leaders in uh, utilizing and promoting sustainable products uh, in their projects? Oh, absolutely. Um, we have an advisory group in Home Free. We call it the Home Free Champions. And so there are uh, groups in there, um, you know, locally here, Common Bond uh, did some really great things. We have a group in uh, San Francisco called Tenderloin Neighborhood Development Company, TNDC. They're doing great work. Um, there is uh, a group in, uh, in Seattle called um, Capitol Hill Housing. There's a group in San Jose called First Community Housing. They've already said, even before we showed up, so I don't even want to take credit for this, we're not using vinyl anymore. We only use linoleum and TNDC is actually moving towards just linoleum. We say that is great, but if you have to use vinyl, there's like red vinyl on the lowest, or there's a couple steps up if you just know what to ask for. So you can, even within the vinyl realm, still make better choices. But there are some affordable housing groups that have made stances because of how, especially how vinyl um, impacts environmental justice and the communities that are surrounding the production of vinyl, the carcinogens and the problems, and they're de definitely um, low-income communities and people of color that are being affected by that, they've drawn their line that they don't wanna participate in the manufacture and the, a lot of the stuff that happens through the creation of vinyl. So That's if you great. And Home Free, you'll see case studies, you'll see a bunch of the leading groups of what they did and what they chose and how they're moving along. Awesome. That's great, Gina. I was just about to ask if there's a, a nice landing page. So <laughs> great plug for where folks can find more information. Um, so we've talked about, uh, I think, you know, throughout our conversation so far, um, just the important importance of organizing around these issues and really, you know, taking a stand for um, healthier building materials and, and um, just healthier communities. Um, there's a question from Lucy um, who asks, how does the average citizen um, get cities, especially those um, in the affluent suburbs, um, to get on board with building this kind of affordable housing? Um, what kind of advocacy um, would you recommend? And are there examples of advocacy um, that's been successful? Yeah, definitely. Um, 
you know, all of the standards we had talked about before have sections. So as, as you're working with the building officials there, the cities, they can start to see that all of the different standards are starting to move towards a best practice of, of healthier materials. What people really need, what I really needed was a resource. You know, how do you select? How do you get involved in a in a community uh, of practice who you can connect to? And that's where we hope we can be helpful with whether you're local governments, whether you're developers, whether you're architects or contractors, we're trying to organize a group of people to work together, to share information, to work through some of the hard stuff, to celebrate that stuff, to share the information that we're succeeding through Home Free. So like I said, I didn't see that when I was trying to tackle this as a developer a few years ago. So my goal was to create a space for this. And I, I truly hope that Home Free can be a very great and easy uh, step into um, ideas around healthier materials. Great. Um, so there are a couple of questions in the Q&A, um, I think around more specific uh, measures or products. So I'll just um, read those and then um, feel free to, to kind of tick through them on, on your end, Gina. Um, but Ray asked a question, um, I believe, um, about asphalt uh, drives or asphalt driveways, um, any practical alternatives to using asphalt? Um, and then uh, Catherine asked a question um, uh, related to your, I think it was related to your LVT flooring slide, um, but just uh, asking about um, information on countertops. Um, is there um, work on countertops that HBN is doing and um, any information that you can share there? Yeah, uh, on the asphalt, um, the team has done a really great reports on that. So I can't comment on off the top of my head, but we do have information around that. So um, if you ping me afterwards, I can point you to some resources. We have done a lot of work on countertops. So the if you go to the Home Free website and look at products, you can see, I didn't realize granite was actually a little lower on the list than I thought. And you see that, um, you know, there, well, you can just jump in there. I won't get into the details, but we have done a lot of work on countertops and we've, I think we've made it pretty easy to um, read through and understand of what are the better ones and the worst ones and why. And some of it is because of sealing that is required. So products that have to get sealed over and over again, they really aren't great, healthier sealant um, uh, products right now. So sometimes that tanks some of the natural products that require sealants. Great. Um, so you've talked about um, impacts on communities of color and under-resourced communities, um, especially um, now during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, could you share a little bit more um, about the intersection of health, equity, and building materials um, and more about HBN's work in this area? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's something we've worked on for a long time, really thinking about environmental justice. If you look at our newsletter, I hope you sign up monthly. We tend to have a lot of newsletters about this particular um, topic. In May, we, we organized a bunch of of the uh, articles that are, are coming out and showing the impacts um, on people of color and uh, lower income communities and the workforce that is essential workforce now that have roles that require the interaction with toxic products and uh, the connections to all kinds of underlying health conditions that can be linked to different chemicals of concern that they have on the job 
Um, that's what I didn't always think about, honestly. When I look back, I always thought about the resident on my first, you know, because we were there to provide affordable housing, healthy, affordable housing. So I thought about, you know, the baby crawling on the floor and the sandwich on the countertop. But I forgot every time I made a decision about a product, it was extracted somewhere. Somebody made it and put it together in an assembly line. Someone installed it. Someone's going to maintain it and repair it. And then it's going to go to the end of life. So when you make a different decision in that moment, the, the number of people that you, you affect on the entire, um, the continuum of who touches that product. And if you look at who that workforce is, what their wages are, you know, ethnic backgrounds, you know, a lot of this stuff comes from overseas. And if you start looking at human rights abuses and, and stuff. So I have been much more connected now to the choices about every, you know, all the different products I buy and where did that come from? What is it made out of? How many people touched it? And if I pick a better product, when we were talking about those tons, that's eliminated from all of the different groups of people who are exposed and touching it along the way. So it is really important justice strategy that we get to know and figure this out. As much as it is with energy and everything else, it's, it's a justice and health inequity issue. I, I really appreciate that, Gina. And that, that so deeply resonates with me. Um, you know, so much of what we do, so much of what we touch um, is, is part of a system or a number of systems. And, um, you know, the thing about systems is that they oftentimes, um, you know, uphold or perpetuate inequities. Um, but I think, as you noted, um, you know, the, the great thing about systems is that there's multiple places at which to intervene in those systems and, and ways to, um, you know, really um, change how those systems, um, you know, carry out. So uh, I, I think that's a really, really great point and um, great to hear how you and, and HBN are thinking about changing those systems for the better. So thank you for that. Um, another question I wanted to ask um, relates to the Ford site, um, a, a potential um, project in development here uh, in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, so how is the Ford site, um, which I think now is known as the, the Highland Bridge project, um, an opportunity to consider um, some of these issues that we've talked about today? You know, it is so visible. It is, to me, I think it's a really important place for a whole bunch of reasons for that systems we were just talking about. You know, I don't know the particulars of it, of course, but I know enough from reading papers that how polluted it has been in the past and a lot of the environmental concerns that affected people. You can think about all the people who are on that site making things at one point in the manufacturing and exposures. So how beautiful would it be to create from what you know of course there no, no i'm, I'm not um, saying anything bad about ford and all the great cars and all the great things that they've done but in this moment of what can it be what if it was the opposite what if we really paid attention now that we can to what are the products that we use i'm not saying we can solve all you know there's a lot of issues around waterproofing and some things so i'm not saying every product tomorrow can be healthy but we can do way better and then make it a springboard for, you know, what comes after that and what comes after that. So I would love it if anyone working, I know PPL, I know Common Bonds working, you know, on things there, of course, Ryan, um, we're here ready, willing and able to help um, 
provide options for healthier products. Great. Um, and kind of on the other uh, side of the coin from a, a new project opportunity, um, Becca in the Q&A asked um, where renovation and rehabs fit in. Um, so there's, you know, kind of this uh, blank slate, so to speak, when you're building new. Um, but, you know, where, where can rehabs and renovation really make a, a significant impact? Yeah, huge. We often think, and I often, because I'm a developer, I often think of the new sites. I'm glad that question was brought up. The volume of products used day in and day out for turns, for repairs, for capital improvements, far exceeds new construction. And that's huge. New construction is going to be enormous globally. But rehabs, weatherization projects, that's the, the work we're doing with NRDC and Energy Efficiency for All is really looking at weatherization and existing operating. So, you know, paint. No one should be using a paint, you know, if you look at our chart, anything below a light green, because there are not cost and performance issues. There's habit, you know, we always knew we use this paint, keep, oh yeah, we use this one, just keep using it. There are, there are, um, paint has transformed in some really great ways in the last few years, and everybody tomorrow should be in the light green or better. So that's an easy one, and that's used in volume. There's definitely products for repair. There's definitely, you know, flooring options. So yes, yes, and yes on existing buildings. We have to pay attention to that huge, huge use there. Great. Um, we are right at the end of our time. Um, I did want to ask one um, kind of final question, Gina, um, for us to, to think about and reflect on. Um, how is the knowledge that you've gained um, through your work at HBN, um, new knowledge that you've gained there, um, changed your own personal behaviors? Yeah, great question. It has. Now, I'm not a super freak about it. I know there's a lot of exposures. There's a lot of, a lot of things out there. I still use Clorox cleanups. I know that probably <laughs> but I like them. But I've changed um, tremendously. I am much more connected with what surrounds me and, and how I participate in things I buy. I don't do paper plates anymore, both from a waste and a, you know, the more water resilient they are, the more problematic they are. Um, I ditched the makeup when I, you know, for a bunch of reasons, but the last straw was there's what in that product and I'm rubbing it on my face mm, out. So I'm really thinking about what's necessary and what's not necessary. Do I need a jacket with weatherproofing that would get me to the top, uh, a waterproofing that would get me to the top of Mount Everest if I'm just running to my car? No. So there are so many things that I've learned. Um, and I don't, you know, when I see a water bottle that says BPA free, I now know about regrettable substitutions that oftentimes they're replaced with chemicals that are their cousin. It's the same thing by a different name. So I'm also more cautious about flashy, oh, this is free of. I always ask now, well, what did they put it instead? Because a lot of times it's the regrettable substitution, same thing, different name. So I'm much more conscious. I pay a lot more attention. Um, I feel really good about the decisions I'm making for my family. And I'm, I'm really proud about the work we're doing in terms of our you know, justice and equity work and, and look forward to health for all in the future because of paying attention to this. 
Absolutely. Um, thank you, Gina. That's, I think, a great um, note to end on. Um, so with that, I want to um, thank everyone for uh, joining us again um, for uh, part three of our Truly Affordable webinar series. Um, I especially want to thank um, Gina Saganek, uh, CEO of Healthy Building Network, um, for a great presentation and discussion today. Um, but again, thank you all for joining us. Um, and with that, we hope to see you next Thursday um, and have a great rest of your day. Thank you for tuning in to the audio recording of our webinar. You can stay up to date on Fresh Energy's work via our blog at fresh-energy.org or follow us on social media. In the meantime, thank you everyone for listening and subscribing to our podcast. You can support Fresh Energy's work by making a donation today. Visit our website at fresh-energy.org and click donate in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.